Today's episode is an absolute treat for everyone. A treat that's possibly going to get delivered to your doorstep. How do you create a venture that fulfills a massive need gap in a diverse country like India and yet speaks to its customers through the best possible customer experience? Danzo has absolutely dominated the past 5 years in the Indian entrepreneurial ecosystem and Anirban Das has been at the helm of each of these activities. He takes us through some of his ideologies of building a solid product that speaks to its customers in an absolute crisp way. Not just that, he's been a gamer through his life. With experiences at Zynga and Hike Messenger, he's now aced the strategy of gamifying customer experience. There is so much for you lined up in this conversation. Well, it is Anirban Das, head of product at Danzo on Design Grid. Anirban, I think uh, it's it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. It's it's quite a conversation that I'm looking forward to having. Uh, having gone through what you've done in your experience in the past, uh, there's a lot of stories that I'm looking to unravel, especially your interests in poker and where that got you. So, uh, welcome, welcome to Design Grid, and uh, let's get this started. Sure. Um, I'm so, I'm glad to join as well. Um, I'm like this form of content, right? And how what goes behind the scenes in creating this yeah, content? I'm I'm yeah. extremely curious to learn more about. So I was looking forward to this. Have you have you done uh, any of these podcasts before? I mean, no, not not really. I'm all I've done is a couple of uh, speaking opportunities at some of these events that keep happening. Right, right. Uh, but I've never really done a one-on-one podcast. Uh, before about anything so i guess this is like my first time so amazing so i think we we've got a lot to cover in that case so uh i i think you come across as a man of many hats your experience across uh, the three organizations that you've been in uh has essentially revolved around product but i'm sure there's there's so much more to that right so if if there was a starting point that i could get to understanding what is anirban's day looking like or what are the highlights of your day just just walk us through that so <clears throat> i guess it depends on the day um like right now it's a completely different set of highlights compared to um let's say three to six months back right. um if you look at on the whole the point that you alluded to right it's been a lot about products um, I think the highlights of my day include the first one is looking at progress, right? Um, especially as the size and uh, scope of the products, or the features has gotten uh, uh, larger over a period of time. Right. Um, just looking at the experiment results which come in or looking at uh, a certain metric which might have moved in the right direction uh, compared to like the previous day, right? I think those are um, very, very key highlights that I look forward to every day. Um, Are or you someone... even be finding an insight or a new type of problem, right? A customer complaint, which is a new yeah. type of complaint that is leading Correct. to some change, right? Even that's a sign of progress. So I think um, in my career, I've sort of always had that daily sign of progress, uh, um, which is one of the key highlights. Uh, so every day has got to be better than the previous one in some way. Absolutely. Um, the second set of key highlights, I think, is... Uh, in a lot of cases, work might be collaborative in nature. So you might be reviewing something or you might be actually problem solving. Um, and the set of 
people that I've worked with in all of the uh, stints that I've had in my career, right? Um, they've been really, really great people to work with. So they've been fun company to hang out with. So like those are people that I would have had as friends, even if, you know, we were not uh, working together. Right. Um, they're, they're, they also have qualities um, which are better than me in many respects. So uh, that allows me to also learn from them. Um, and I can give you examples if uh, you want, but I'm just trying to answer your question sure. on, through some structure. Um, <clears throat> I think that's the second uh, highlight. So any meeting or any interaction with someone else, right? But even these days it's on Slack, right? But I think that's one thing which is like a key highlight because there's always interesting problems to solve. There's always um, nuances to think about things. So personally for me as well, um, that's very intellectually stimulating. Um, uh, the day-to-day -day work uh, uh, that I do. So I think that's that's my <clears throat> second broad bucket of highlights. For, uh, every day for someone in product and for someone in design uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought out slack uh, is it does it get overwhelming for you to be constantly available on slack is have you faced any of those challenges from a day-to-day -day working standpoint um not really but i think uh, i've used slack at my previous company but at dunzo the move to slack was uh, somewhat more recent so we had our engineering teams who were always on slack and uh, um, the business folks and the product folks used to use like a, a combination of uh, Slack as well as WhatsApp, because in many yeah, cases yeah. Um, there might be external stakeholders who are on WhatsApp. So it's easier on WhatsApp. So right. sort of moving, I have moved a lot of my interactions over to Slack. And so far I, I, I found the threaded conversations that Slack has uh, to be a lot better for work related stuff compared to WhatsApp. So I, Correct. So far, I think uh, my the categorization is, is, is more productive. Absolutely. And, and it can sync better with other documents and artifacts uh, that we have as well. Sure. So, so from yeah, that I think Slack's been overall positive. I think we've had a similar experience. Slack's been, uh, uh, Slack's been extremely useful. It's been helpful as a matter of fact, uh, like you said, right? Uh, you're on Slack. A lot of our customer teams are also on Slack. So it's just easier to make channels and just coordinate and you're not going, uh, you're not getting into uh, the informalities of WhatsApp or, or something as formal as an email. It's, it, it keeps you somewhere in balanced in between. Correct. So, no, very uh, yeah, so, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back and, and, and go right into, uh, 2012, 13 is when, uh, you jumped into product, uh, for the first time. Right. Uh, yes. so just, from from one of those moments of truth, why uh, after having graduated out of uh, IIM, what got you intrigued to make a career or jump into product design per se? Okay, so it wasn't a thought through decision as such. Um, it's one of those stories, huh? Okay. Yeah, it's one of those stories. So. Um, <clears throat> when I started working at Microsoft and I was a developer and I actually built my first product as part of that role where I was part of the QA team and I was trying to automate a set of test cases um, so that we could just save manual effort of uh, so many people doing the same thing repeatedly. Um, that was sort of the first product that I built um, when I was uh, an estate at Microsoft. Um, so I knew a little bit about product, but I could not articulate that. Okay, this is what product is, or this is what product management 
really is right right um, i can do it now but back then i couldn't so that part or that experience was really really fun um because every day again right you're adding that new feature your two complaints that someone else had on the team right you're literally also fixing it uh, yourself so that experience was really really fun um so there was that calling aspect playing out in the background but when i joined b school right i went into this herd mentality that okay everyone is like getting an investment banking internship is like the short term goal or definition of success yeah, right yeah. it still stays that. that way i guess yes i i and now i think back and i like that's a really stupid way to think about this decision but at that point of time i was like okay anyway i think it had its pros as well i enjoyed the experience i learned a lot of things but i don't think i was truly into it or i was good enough back then so that decision in hindsight at least was a good track that got closed then marketing was the subject in b school which i was really really good at and did well at um and i was interviewing with the unilevers and the pngs and all of these companies or during final placements but as luck would have it zynga in that year had just recently set up a studio in uh, india and they happened to visit our campus and i'd been a gamer so i i had been playing video games since i was like 5 years old so that's what initially attracted me to zynga and this product management role then i learned more about and then i decided to interview then one thing led to the other they made me an offer some of the marketing things didn't pan out and like it just happened um that's literally how the shift to product so you were you were literally pushed into uh, a stream that you were just passionate about uh, since early childhood in some ways or rather the company was rather rather uh, into a sector that intrigued you personally also there were not too many other companies which were actually offering that role or um were part of my select set of roles back then so i think that was the stroke of luck it it just because it was zynga just because it was gaming all of those things zynga uh, done well really well in the recent uh, at that point of time so all of those things connecting together right i think right. that's what uh, and also like the interview process as well right when i met my first boss um like it was also going in like very different directions he was not supposed to interview me he overheard a conversation then he came in and interviewed me so all of those things sort of played out into like this uh serendipitous decision of yeah. uh, getting into product right so what was what was it like uh, at zynga just just take us through a little bit of what you did and uh, and what was what was the highlight of uh, of your stint at uh, at zynga so i think it it was like a phenomenal uh, learning experience the first uh, couple of years um the first two months uh, was a sort of boot camp where literally within the first week um i would get thrown into like a mini project of years what a pm does end to end so coming up with uh, estimates of what like understanding the problem statement uh, coming up with estimates of what your feature might actually go ahead and deliver uh working with other teams who were part of the boot camp on coming up with solutions and by the end of the week presenting that okay you know here are here's how i thought through the problem statement here is how i framed my goals so it was like a very crunched onboarding experience of sort so that was literally the first week and then the first couple of months were uh, picking up a lot of the basic tasks like daily reports right just doing that end to end for the first two months so that you have a complete understanding of the game so i think that first two months uh, the way zynga had set up uh, the onboarding process 
Um, I, I've used learnings from those to set up similar things in uh, teams that I've also uh, had to set this uh, process up for. So, so I think that was really, really uh, uh, key learning. I think the second key learning was once um, Zynga actually goes ahead and puts you into a role, right? So my first role was to be the TAU and retention PM uh, for Hidden Chronicles, which was a game that we were transitioning from uh, the SF studio uh, back to uh, the India studio. Yeah. So yeah. that experience, I think a lot of learnings around uh, communication and interculturally, what are the differences that happen in communication? Um, right. That was an experience uh, which was very, very new uh, for me. Um, uh, the second one was around the level of detail in which the transition plan was broken down to, right? I had at least not seen that level. Like there were literally like 3000 tasks and line and all of that thought through right from the beginning. I'd seen project plans in Microsoft, but that level of detail was uh, like, I can still recollect it. It's that uh, sharply defined in my memory. So the, that was, I think, uh, because those are the operational parts, right? When you have a model at scale and you're thinking about the transition plan. So I think that was really, really amazing. Um, from a product perspective, I think it was the first time that I was thinking about uh, learning about the principles behind that designing a game, right? So, uh, a couple of insights which might be useful. So how do you break up the game into micro loops of experience, then draw another concentric circle. And then yeah. there's that. So it could be like a action level session level, and then in a week level, how do you want your experience? And then you yeah. can draw it out. So that's a yeah. principle that I think gaming uses very well, but can be applied in uh, other uh, sort of products yeah. as well. So Correct. I think Correct. it really learned about uh, those aspects. I think that would have been uh, it, it. What you're saying essentially sets as the base of how experience gamification works across most products. Right. And I think yeah. if, if, if the experience comes from designing a game itself, uh, there's so much more depth around it. Yes. So several, right. Variable rewards, which you can, use uh, when you're thinking about incentives on a e-commerce product, right? That's a sure. principle that we use. So, yeah. so there's uh, several of these uh, uh, principles that uh, I think the Zynga journey taught me. I think the last one and uh, a very memorable one, actually a couple of more memorable ones from Zynga is um, uh, had the opportunity to also ship a new product. And it was the first time that I was actually building a new product and taking it to market. Um, in that experience, I also had to play the role of a game designer where I had to fine tune, basically model the entire game into an Excel sheet and fine tune all the systems of resource drops, what level progression do we, so that was, I think a fascinating experience because you need to take the complexity of that and turn it into a simple enough uh, model that can be yeah. used by multiple teams to sort of do their work. So I think that was a very, very interesting learning. And then. When we launched the game, I think we spent a good uh, six months dedicatedly just focusing on running over 50, 60 tests on one part of the funnel. So from the point that a user actually goes ahead and lands on the Facebook uh, gaming canvas page to actually going ahead and playing their first uh, gameplay. I think um, that level of dedicated focus on just one problem 
um it's it's actually harder um than it sounds in uh, a lot of other places you have multiple priorities you have so i think that was a very very interesting learning for me because i think that really gave me the depth required um for other challenges that i uh, picked up in the future so you were already a gamer you were working on project management and design in a gaming studio uh did yes. it ever occur to you that could you come up with your own game at some point of time or design one by yourself so several times and in fact in zinga there were uh, ways to sort of pitch those ideas and uh, get some of these games uh, into a pipeline where it could be greenlit so zinga had a very good process on uh, uh, firstly collecting ideas um also looking at competitive trends to uh, set up which ideas to greenlight and which ideas to actually not greenlight yeah. Yeah. um and a very transparent process to run it so so i guess i never thought of doing my own game because of how much fun i was having there was enough also, entrepreneurial freedom out there exactly so there were ways to actually get that done um at zinga right and 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 your transition out of zinga into hike uh, what was that like and why did you why did you decide to move out so that one had uh, two major reasons so the first reason was that um, the first game that we actually launched right um did not actually meet its revenue targets um from a arpu perspective and uh, at zinga scale we were only able to scale it to about a million daus yeah um and at zinga scale a million daus may not mean much to actually keep the project going right and i think there was a decision where um no additional new products in the short term would be greenlit at that point of time and having been through that journey right and that phase i wanted to sort of experience it at least one more time uh, for new product so there was the new product aspect to it the second reason was i think the vision that kavin uh, uh, had right was very compelling and it was possibly one of the hardest challenges to take on because like social you've got like the likes of facebook whatsapp google all having tried and not having succeeded in social so i think that challenge was the second reason and uh, my boss at zinga uh, ranjit was also making the uh, move so I, i was like okay you know this is a person that i've learned a lot from um i respect and i will get to learn a lot more from uh, was something that uh, was a influencing factor or an input into this decision yeah yeah interesting so uh hike right uh at some point of time people have said that hike's been ahead of its time across uh, various functionalities and features that it offered uh was was that sort of a notion there when you entered hike or was it just a daunting challenge to make it more acceptable and social as a product so i think the ahead of the time part of the question that you asked right i think on certain trends and um, certain features or certain parts of the social experience hike was definitely ahead of its time so um in india the entire expressive communication trend right yeah. where stickers right hike really made stickers popular in india even before yeah. uh, facebook messenger or uh, someone uh, uh, whatsapp also now has it um, even before right. they actually brought it to india right and uh, hike going yeah. vernacular in that point that was one of the highlights you're right the the stickers yeah um on privacy for example right uh, the ability to hide chats was based on a very interesting user insight where um 
there were shared phones back when hike was gaining traction right there were shared phones right. where um parents might have access to uh, uh, kids phones correct uh, especially in the tier 2 and tier 3 cities right and correct. Uh, there were a couple of great innovations on uh, uh, hiding chats or uh, even the ability to show online and offline uh, or to select its set of people right that privacy trend as well i think we uh, hike was one of the pioneers to actually come up with those very local and unique insights and innovate on um, that on india um, yeah. i think uh, and again this is my perspective sure now um on the content piece and on the platform piece which is actually the part that i was leading i am not entirely sure at the time it seemed like a good thing to start uh, building and working on at this point i am not entirely sure whether it, the timing was right on actually working on those pieces i mean those pieces also got great traction lot of learning lot of insights but whether it was too early or not um, i think um, i was convinced back then it was the right thing to do but probably now if i think about it um i think those tracks should probably have been deprioritized uh, earlier and uh, i think the focus that hike is uh, in right now i think it's really really exciting so um given where the market itself has evolved right so uh, hike's trying to reimagine social experiences and build just much deeper experiences things like uh, watching movies uh, together all of that direction i think is really really exciting and powerful and um, based on uh, at least i was reading tweets from kavin or uh, they're seeing very good traction on uh, some of those as well so i think that's a really exciting direction and one of those could just uh, take off and become like the next uh, trend in social like i'm i'm certainly rooting for hike uh, because i had a great experience hike treated me really really well sure uh, some the best people that i worked with as well so so i'm really rooting for hike on those uh, uh, new products that uh, they try so uh, when it comes to when it comes to designing and perhaps making a business decision as to what features should you green light moving forward and this may even contextually apply to your role right now at danzo uh, do you come from a school of thought that we should try and test a lot of features and let data or other traction decide what works and what doesn't or should it be shot down at an engineering or uh, or at a design level no so i think it's a lot more I, i've come to realize that it's a lot more nuanced view than that because there are several inputs at play so the sure. life cycle of a, a product right is an input into what percentage or what should your strategy be right should you try out like tens of different experiments or should you focus more time on uh, just validating and verifying the uh, problem statement and which and, and prioritize the problem statements first um it also depends on the constraints that are at play so in danzo specific context i think we need a very strong mix of the second thing that i spoke about where the problem statements and the insights that we're betting on right our confidence on those needs to be extremely high and these um, are these are insights derived from secondary our, research um so, so we we use a mix of our analytics data we use a, 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 a use customer support tickets as an input we use a, a qualitative calling activities as an input so it's it's multiple inputs but ensuring that the uh, insight or the problem statement at least is something that we're convinced about is really important 
um, because right. it's also got to do with the business model, right? You um, logistics is a high volume, low margin business or hyper local is a low margin business. So we right. can't keep our fixed costs extremely high. So right. That's why in Danzo specific context, um, that is one vector. And then the idea or the solutions to these problem statements, right? I think there it makes a lot of sense to have as many different approaches, as many different ideas as possible and have like the product and design teams and the engineering teams, right? The product, I, I, when I say product, I mean it in the abstract sense. I mean, these three teams together, because sure. you can't really or differentiate between them. Absolutely. The, uh, the, at least the brainstorming or the coming up with the solution part of it. So right. there, I think different approaches, um, encouraging that and making time for that and coming up with ways to debate and agree on what's the best approach possible. I think that is what uh, makes a lot of sense in Danzo's context. Right. I think, I think when we speak of Danzo, 2020 uh, would have been like a crazy year. Uh, and I'm guessing one of those products and companies which has had, uh, which has had a massive uptake in its uh, customer acquisition, new customer acquisition. Uh, uh, have you, uh, and I'm diving specifically from a, from a design tech standpoint here, uh, do you usually face the challenge of what a design team comes up with as a solution uh, and versus what the engineering team comes up with? And uh, is there, are they usually at loggerheads and how do you resolve that? So I think there is a healthy tension that does exist sometimes because, um, because of constraints, right? There's more features or more improvements um, or more technical uh, improvements as well to architecture or, uh, or engineering metrics that, and, and we have a limited set of uh, people who can solve those problems. Right. So sometimes there are trade-offs that need to be made in terms of, okay, how long should the solution actually take? Um, so that's the healthy tension, which I think uh, exists at most startups um, or not even startups. I'm assuming that, any well-functioning product will always have like Correct. a lot of ideas. And I think that's the healthy tension in, in terms of how to resolve it. I think like few things which have worked for us. One is to always firstly bring out these conflicts in the open. Um, because unless you're bringing them out, they tend to sort of, uh, fester on and then might lead to like yeah. not being spoken about and not resolved. So yeah. I think the first thing is to obviously actively look for these yeah. and bring them, uh, to the four to uh, discuss. Um, the second thing which we've experimented with is actually uh, tenets or principles. So they could be product principles, they could be design principles, they could be engineering principles, which at a lead level, you could actually agree on and discuss. And then your teams also could contribute to that. And using that as a way to just capture some of the themes of these disagreements so that you don't spend time actually disagreeing about the same type of thing again and again. So that's another yeah. thing that you're actually trying out, uh, um, just about like three months back. So we've, we've tried sure. that out. Um, so that could be the other way to, uh, the other thing that we have tried to uh, resolve yeah. some of, uh, these disagreements. Um, I'm trying to think of like specifically, okay. So we have a new home screen redesign coming up. So there yeah. is a, disagreement about prioritizing a certain category versus a certain focus category where sure. everyone agrees that, okay. Um, like all of those categories, uh, also need to have like a really great experience, Yeah. but 
we also are sometimes bandwidth constrained where in one release we only need to solve for the focus category in question correct correct so in this instance it, it was down to like the strategic choice and so some of the things that happen in these discussions right also is everyone has valid points um and so they're coming from their everyone, point of view. exactly so so that's why these discussions so so in this case as well we were able to come up with okay here are the inputs into this decision and here is why we are saying that okay we're not going to we're going to make a choice to leave one of the other categories as something that we'll solve for um, in a subsequent release so when you talk about tenets or when you when you talk about tenets or when you talk about principles are they experientially derived from individual experiences or are they more rooted into say uh, the organization's experience of the product journey i think it's a combination of uh, all of these things the only classification that in our product uh, tenets that we were able to make is uh, there were five of them which affected who we are or sort of what our product stands for yeah. and five of them which were sort of linked to the way we work with other yeah. teams so that was uh, 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 the only classification that i could right uh, come but i haven't spent time thinking about uh, whether there are like the meta themes behind yeah where are all of these uh, coming from right these were the uh, 10 that made the most sense based on feedback sure that uh, sure do you do you usually face a challenge of how to keep the team's culture intact i know you're leading a large team right now uh 18 odd people if i'm if i'm getting that right uh right so how do you do you face a challenge of how to keep the culture of the team intact versus say efficiency that that you say runs down the spine of dunzo as a culture right so yeah of course there have been several challenges um but specifically on the efficiency bit because it is ingrained into our culture itself right it's it's not as as much of a uh, challenge but i think when we talk about culture it's also important to like define the word culture because it it's got a word like you might so, define it so in from from where i'm coming i mean uh, usually product teams and design teams end up having a certain kind of a subculture or a mentality of themselves right which right. is which is still inspired by larger values of the organization but they still have a subculture and they kind of relate with each other much more is that something that you actively drive and uh, or rather how do you foster that yes so on that specific aspect i think that's not specific to the product team but any sort of team right and when that team gets broken down Correct. for the sub teams there are certain subcultures which tend to evolve right sure. there might be a certain way they run their meetings there might be a certain Absolutely. way they speak to each other there might be certain uh, channels of communication so all of those right uh, that tends to evolve but i think it does so some of the core uh, values that we have right those have we've made sure um remain across teams irrespective of function or irrespective of the goal that the team is chasing and the product team versus other teams problem what we've done is we've done several things to actually uh, uh, address those right um we've done the first one is the way we set goals right so you might have a reporting structure in place but the way we set up teams and goals there are co-owned goals that engineering yeah. business and product might own yeah. so that ensures that ultimate success criteria of everyone on the team right 
is actually linked to working together as a team. So right. that is one thing uh, uh, that we've done. Um, the other thing that we do is there are weekly sort of interaction points. So some of these could be meetings, some of these could be uh, documents that all of these teams review to make sure that there is shared context uh, for all of these teams so that they're able to empathize with each other's challenges a lot better. So I right. think this is the uh, second thing uh, which has worked. Um, now what we've gone ahead and done is uh, we've changed our team structures also to make them completely cross-functional where there's a, in, in certain teams where uh, we could make this change, there is one leader of the team and then there is a cross-functional uh, team who are co-owning goals, co-owning pieces of work um, so that the lines or at least the goal ownership, right? is common across teams. So I think these three things uh, are sort of things that we've... Right. And and as a as a team leader, and, and, and the reason I ask this is because a lot of the audience set who listens to, you know, a conversation like this is uh, essentially on product teams or business teams, right? Uh, right. What, what do you define or how do you define success uh, of a product team specifically? Uh, is it in the short term or do you look at a long-term horizon and are there any metrics around that that you've personally devised? So both and in Danzo's context, every member of the product team has very clear metrics and goals. Um, and we've gotten that in place. So it's it's been a work in progress. So we, we put it sure. in place first in uh, two years back. And things like a performance review, right? Um, Correct. Where you're... Uh, looking to reward people or things like promotions, right? They are based on this singular input or data point of goals. We also have competencies and we look at competencies more from a input to these goals perspective to actually reflect on things like communication, analytical skills, all of those things. But we do not use those as an input as inputs to determine performance. Right. Uh, so, I don't know. It's contextual um, in a different, sure. set, in a different absolutely, absolutely. But what this has done for um, the product team and the design team at Danzo, and and with design teams, it was even more challenging because apparently a lot of design teams they like don't have like clear cut goals. Yeah, it's uh, more creative and agile as a process. Yeah, but you could frame those things also as goals. So right, what like there there might not be uh, metrics in place. So there might be more qualitative metrics, but we've tried to frame those as goals. Yeah. So I think uh, this one and, and now PM leads right are uh, evolving and stepping up to start owning business metrics as well. So so that's been the evolution, and that ensures that you know there is accountability on um, not just the product sh- feature that you're shipping, but also the metric that is moving because of the product feature. Correct. Absolutely. Do you, do you, do you spend a large part of your time now, given that you're leading the team and leading this practice here, do you spend a large part of the time managing people or is it still getting actively involved in the technical, uh, you know, workflows, uh, of design? Um, so I, so my role also has changed like literally every six months, but the technical aspects of design other than. Um, maybe if it's a framework that the team wants to present and get feedback Correct. on or, uh, or like a really important project, right? Which, which could influence business metrics dramatically. 
um i think these are the instances where i myself get involved because we have a like very good head of design um deepak um who takes care of everything else and we have a very like good alignment at a vision and a, at a strategy level um so 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 that's uh, on the uh, details of the uh, design understood and and so you consider yourself to be or rather you want to be a lot more hands on 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 day to day operations rather than just uh driving the team to to do it by themselves no and i would the way i approach it is that if there are any process related unblocks or anything to do with the way we are working right correct if we can solve this from a systems point of view that is the lens through which i tend to approach uh, these problems as the team size has uh, yeah yeah uh, sort of gotten larger understood uh one thing that i've actually been itching to ask and 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 i don't mind you going deeper into this rather uh sure. tanzo has actually mastered a lot of hyper cultural uh experiences even within india right what what you look at a tanzo screen and the experience in bangalore versus in mumbai is is relatively different how do you how do you end up designing for hyper cultural context within uh within a particular geography like india so i think that's a great question so i think um the first input or element to look at is what really makes um these nuances that you spoke about right yeah hyper local so you've got the merchants and in every geography in india right you've got unique merchants who have their own brand their own um unique value proposition that um they are offering to our users so i think how do you enable discovery of those merchants um how do you enable users to know more about those merchants this what's really the story behind what makes that merchant special right sure um, so this is one track or sort of one principle or input into making this hyper cultural uh, aspect uh, come in um Correct. the second aspect is of course our delivery partners Correct. and each delivery partner right has something unique and a lot of danzo's early growth was because of the role that these danzo's delivery partners have always gone that extra mile i think some of our flows and use cases have also created that but danzo's delivery partners have always gone that extra mile so i yeah. think highlighting those delivery partners and telling their story better right and right. this is like a work in progress it's not the products on these two vectors the products not at a place where we wanted to be this Correct. is the second aspect that we want to uh, focus on and just creating that hyper local connection between merchants the delivery partners and our users right because these are the three um users that the product serves correct so so that that adds to the hyper local um, aspect of things i think selection is the other aspect so when it comes to what products we sell on our platform right there are nuances at, at like at a bangalore and mumbai level there are obviously nuances but even at a indranagar versus a um sarjapur road right Correct. or maybe not a sarjapur road but a indranagar versus a marathali right Correct. might have its own nuances so Correct. the selection that we offer um also has its own nuances and challenges because like it's this physical constraints to expanding selection that there's all of those things so i think that's right. the third place where um these nuances we want to uh, sort of bring in and then there are other <coughs> aspects of the experience like the map itself which yeah. could do a better job at uh, highlighting some of these nuances sure sure so i think so, largely these four things uh 
you know, you, you speak about two different locations within a particular city. And, uh, and that brings me to a lot of uh, brand communication that Dunzo has been on to. Uh, and with a lot of uh, the projects that we work on, we often end up educating uh, a new product team or a customer team on why is it so essential to blend in elements of brand communication with product design, right? Uh, what, what do you think about that? And, and, and while I know Dunzo has been effectively doing that, uh, does that become a part of something that you all, uh, that you all essentially run the design lens through? Do you integrate brand communication very actively into product design? Yes. So I think those two teams, right. They work like hand in glove with yeah. each other uh, very, very effectively because from the customer's perspective, right. He, the customer only thinks done so. So yeah. the brand or the product or whatever word you want yeah. to use for it, yeah. right. There is only this abstract and entity of Dunzo. So, and these two teams in particular, because the manifestation of communication happens within the product, the manifestation of the product happens in communication outside of the product. So Correct. these two teams, I think work very, very well and closely with each other. They have like common principles, for example, on sure. product design and uh, brand design. Um, sure. So the tone or the narrative or the copy that we use, right. These we try to keep yeah. uh, consistent. So these two teams work uh, very closely with each other. The other aspect is we have a phenomenal brand team who also brings in flavors of what's really local and relevant in the target yeah. segment at a, because so much of communication is about, um, wider trends that are happening outside. Correct. Right? So, correct. So I think the brand team brings in those aspects as well. And we have built, uh, certain tools which can allow us to manifest those in the uh, product. Wow. And those like, are in-house proprietary tools that you've developed. I mean, yes. So, so they, they're part of our, uh, like overall suit of products that we've built sure. to sort of handle these uh, cases. Sure. Uh, you know, we, we spoke about a bunch of things and we started from, we started from your stint with, uh, with a gaming product. Uh, if, if one was to tie that together, uh, how do you incentivize or how do you gamify the experience for a user uh, on the platform today? Okay. So I think, like we look at like all our metrics, right? Or is that, is, is that actively done in the sense that do you actively? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So I think it's become second nature for me. So I'm taking some time. To, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But basically if you look at, so we use goals and metrics to define success for everyone. Right. And the definition of those goals and metrics are always based on journeys of users. Right. And where are their friction points or where are the places that we can do better um, as a company? This is not just for product. This is about all our operation, all our business Correct. metrics, all of it. Right. Correct. So we look at um, those as the foundational piece of actually defining these metrics and goals. So I think that is probably the top reason as to why, like this is not as big a problem. Um, um, at Dunzo or, or this is one of the things that Dunzo, I think does it's, it's more wired in the, in the design and thinking DNA. It's, it's exactly. So it's been set up in that fashion and like Kabir's done a great job at since day one, building this into the uh, culture and the OS of how we work. Interesting. Uh, 
one one very uh, important thing that's that's been on my mind and, I, and that's something that we've gotten from a bunch of people who wanted to understand Dunzo much deeper uh 2020 was obviously a breakthrough year very different uh and you all did a bunch of activities uh, a lot of things on the product and it is where it is today right uh is there a is there a highlight or a moment of truth that kind of stood out saying this is why this is what defined the success of the product largely or the customer acquisition uh, that you are on to today so i don't think there were these moments as such because like as a team where while we celebrate our wins and the places where we make progress we are also extremely uh, focused on okay what's the next problem to solve how, how does this metric move to the next level right so we keep sure. redefining what these uh, wins are um specifically on covid i think right when covid hit we got a lot of uh, positive tailwinds because a lot of customers started to try out uh, online shopping of grocery yeah. but yeah. once the lockdowns uh, stopped teasing there was also some amount of reverse migration away from the core cities that we were present in right there were some headwinds that we started facing as well but what it allowed us to do was uh, um, completely save on our marketing costs and sort of let organic growth uh, fuel the growth that we seen in the past one year uh, while we spend more time learning about uh, you know user segments yeah. um analyzing uh, behavior of of users all of those activities right so i think that was what uh, uh, it allowed us to do so so the, so the momentum I, that everyone was on uh, is is where the products business uh, essentially was able to capitalize on Yes, yes, absolutely. So I think it was net, net, net. If I look at the last nine months, I think it was really, really good uh, for the um, business. So Anurban, before we kind of dive into uh, you know the more personal aspects of who you are and what you do in in your personal life, uh, this is one thing about Danso that I wanted to kind of uh, talk a little more about. So if you look at it as a product, it's largely. grounded in india which means it's built for and by the demography uh, right. its cultural nuances are wired around india it's not something that we've just copied and take, taken inspiration from from the west right so do you do you still see yourself taking or referencing uh, to some of the larger product companies or products from us or uk and try and incorporate some of those experiences or design in the product here No, absolutely. We uh, seek inspiration as well as ideas from other products, um, not just in India but outside of India as well. Um, I think the only difference is that uh, um, if you look at products that are trying to solve the problem that Dunzo is solving, I think even more than the US and the UK, we found that Gojek in Indonesia um, is a really close parallel for us, and a lot of sure. the things that they've done, right? Um, we've actually learned from them and. Uh, right uh, looked at the approach that they've used towards solving a problem or um, getir is another one which is um, in turkey and uh, the middle east right so uh, i think those markets the markets of indonesia as well as um, the middle east i think the customer segments in those markets tend to resemble the customer segments in india the demographics in india more than uh, perhaps um, some of the us and europe uh, peers but that being said i think glovo in europe um, is another company or a product which um solves for a similar need to danzo um, sure. and we looked at them we looked at rapi in south america 
um, which also is a similar uh, company. So we, we, we keep looking at um, um, players in either this space or adjacent spaces Correct. just to keep abreast of, you know, um, what are yeah. some new innovations that they might be trying and more than the new innovations themselves, why are they trying to sort of do this, right? That sure. is what we look at in order to understand whether some of those learnings may be applicable to um, sure. Right. So individually, do you draw inspiration from any of the non-sector companies or product companies? Uh, it could be anywhere globally. Uh, typically, aspects that you really think have made some bit of a difference in, in product design, it could be the experience, it could be the interface, it could be the business model itself. Are there any of those personal inspirations for you? Yes. So I think um, if we look at GoPuff um, in the US and they started off in college towns, Right. Uh, the way they've gone about crafting um, the consumables uh, category in particular, right? Sure. Uh, I think there have been several learnings from GoPuff's models, whether it sure. is um, in their choice of their business model and the applicability of that business model in Dunzo's context. Um, but in particular, the way that they work very closely with brands to um, surface and highlight new offerings that brands might want to uh, serve customers with, right? Um, right. I think that aspect GoPuff does really, really well. And we've looked at them and sort of tried to see what learnings can actually be used and then contextualized in uh, Dunzo's own unique context. So I think right. the brand aspect and how they launch a new brand, how they uh, try and build behavior for purchases for customers for new brands, right? Um, I think that is one thing that uh, we've in specific picked up from uh, GoPuff in the uh, US. Right. If you if you also just take a step back and look at how the industry, say for hyperlocal delivery in India, has matured. Uh, while earlier there were there were multiple parallels on say food delivery and and say Dunzo brought in the aspect of beyond food aspects, and then there were listings and events and groceries. Today, do you see a some a, a sort of an industry or a sector sector level consolidation happening? Right? Because everyone's almost jumping into most things. How do you see yeah. that distinction playing out in the coming months? So I think convergence, and this is my personal opinion. Uh, sure. And it's of course I've only spent uh, two and a half years in this space, but my personal view is that there is bound to be convergence that happens in this space because ultimately hyperlocal is a function of density, and I find it very unlikely that there'll be fifteen players who are trying to do hyperlocal in uh, yeah. geography like Indranagar, right? which is where I stay. Um, at the same time, I also believe that this is not a winner takes all market where there'll be only one player or like one player with 80% market share. Um, simply because of the fact that in any sort of market, there are regulatory reasons, of course, as to why this should not happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. There are also in the customer's space as well, right? Um, there are nuances between how customers perceive, let's say, a Swiggy versus a Danzo. And there are and that's by design. Exactly. Like even if you compare a Swiggy versus a Zomato, right? Um, yeah. In the customer's mind, the positioning that a Zomato has versus a Swiggy has, right? Sure. Might be different and nuanced. So, so I, I do think that this is going to be um, in the next five years, this is going to be a space which maybe does not have uh, like 20, 25 players and is much more likely to have uh, three or four players uh, solving this need for a variety of customers. Is design going to be one of the reasons why it even tends towards winner winner takes all sort of a discussion? 
No, absolutely. I and I and I think one of the trends which is going to end up playing out over the next five to ten years is that once the infrastructure and the capabilities needed to make hyper local work behind the scenes um, is in a much more stable phase, right? And that itself is going to take, I think, a lot of Dunzo, including Dunzo, a lot of the companies have actually done a lot of work in the last five years to actually get yeah. that to place, um, which was not the case five years back. But I think there is still some more work to do, right? Like um, experience disruptions do tend to happen when it rains, for example. So there is still some right. more work to do. Um, inventory, uh, data, real time being available from stores is still not a completely solved problem, right? So there is right. still some work to do uh, with regards to infrastructure or, or uh, another example is vertically integrating in the supply chains to get more predictability. Yeah. In it. And, and especially the operations more... and logistics side of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. so there is still some more work to do to get this down to boring predictability, I would say. Once that milestone happens, right? I think what is going to end up happening is that the UX or the design of these experiences, right? I think that is going to start becoming um, a differentiating factor for customers. So um, you as a customer might have an experience which is customized to you. I as a customer might have an experience which is customized to me. Customers who are extremely low on time might have one click ordering in place um, and they have to yeah. pay these platforms, let's say once a month, right? Those are some of the yeah. things that might, uh, yeah. Yeah. Go, uh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Or, or as more and more customers, uh, once we start to reach, let's say things like the language barrier, right? Um, um, voice might end up becoming a trend that uh, tends to play out in the past. So, so I think one trend, which is likely to be common is the amount of friction involved in actually placing and the fulfillment of these orders, right? That is going to only keep going down. And then once that is down to a point where there are diminishing returns, I think there is likely to be differentiation in terms of the experience that is offered to customers on the uh, order placement side. Uh, that, yeah. that's, that's, so, that's so well articulated, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that's how most sectors mature and that's how uh, uh, entry barriers start to become taller because because there's so much advancement and understanding of the sector that the existing players have already had that it becomes challenging for newer entrants to come in up, right. up. and at Dunzo, i think one of the and this is the thing with like our vision um it's it's almost impossible so i think the magical experience that we're looking to build is that how do you get the time from the customer realizing the need of a certain item yeah the fulfillment of the need down to literally zero, right? Like that is probably the magical end state, which is, which might even be impossible yeah. given the physical laws of reality, but that is really the aspirational end state that we need to get to where I realize that, okay, I need like, uh, my bread and butter because it's run out. Right. And the Tanzo guy shows up as soon as the uh, realization is had. Yeah. I think that's really yeah. the end state that we're uh, looking to build towards. They all, they all actively engage with customer communities in some open source forums to be able to keep giving proactive feedbacks beyond the usual customer feedbacks from the app. Um, yes, but I think we could uh, do better at uh, this aspect as well. And we've got several planned initiatives to actually improve on this aspect. Um, so I think on social media, we engage with our customers on yeah, sure, facing sure. Uh, this thing. In addition, we have, um, user calling and user research activities where we actively reach out to certain segments of our customers to have, um, understand their pain points slightly better, seek suggestions from them into improvements that we can make for them. So that is another, uh, 
sort of avenue for us to engage with customers. Um, communities is something that um, I think we have more room to progress. So having an active community who is engaging with Dunzo more than giving feedback as well, right? That, yeah. that is an idea that is in the works and in the pipeline. So, yeah. Um, expecting to share more news about uh, that very, very soon. So, so all of these, so for us, and we've been this way uh, since the past, right? I think the role of product managers and designers is to act as facilitators between customers, understanding what their needs are. So I think that is how the company has been set up and that is how the role of product managers and designers have actually been defined. Great. So, uh, Anirban, this is, this has been, this has been extremely interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about a couple of personal things for people to get to know you a little better. Uh, one of that is, uh, do you, do you read or do you listen to a lot of podcasts a lot? How do you consume knowledge? Um, so I think I read quite a lot. Um, and it's so more of a, more habit. of a paperback person. Yes. Um, actually I've, uh, over the last six months I've started to use the Kindle on my phone. So that is my primary, uh, medium of consumption. Um, I also watch uh, selected content on YouTube, but it's very, very specific. So if I realize that, okay, here is an aspect that is going to be yeah. very, very relevant, then I'll search for a few talks uh, um, on that specific aspect. Um, but yeah, these are my two primary sources of consumption of knowledge. And then the third one is of course, um, in company groups, there's a lot of other people who are active on Twitter and other social media. Sure. Uh, platforms. So the shares that happen because of those, the ones that I find interesting, I actually go ahead and uh, uh, read up on those as well. I'm not very active on social media myself, whether it's Twitter yeah. or the other social networks. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't get too much knowledge uh, from browsing social networks myself. Sure. Sure. I, I, I think that's a good thing in some way because where you have to get it from, you are able to explore and discover. Uh, so, and also, I mean, the thing with social media is that it's uh, because of the addictive nature of it, right? I've tried to actively uh, stay away from it as much as possible. I could so, get into a whole lot of discussion on that with you, but I, but I know that's not what we're talking about. Uh, so, uh, so from a personal inspiration standpoint, if there were three people who you could invite for a dinner at home uh, to have interesting conversations, who would that be for you and why? Um, so I think the first person would be my wife. Um, uh, <laughs> we usually have dinner together anyway. Um, but the why is that I think she's got a general attitude and outlook towards life where um, 90, 95% of the time she's always living in the present and living in the moment and not worrying about the past or not thinking too much about the future and just being present in the moment in everything that you do. Right. I think I've learned a lot from her and I have in the time that I've spent with her, uh, I have myself been able to anchor myself much more to the present than thinking about, you know, worries about the past or worries about the future. So I think that is that aspect of her is really, really inspiring. So that would be the first person. Um, I think uh, the second person would be uh, my current boss and CEO Kabir. Um, and the reason for that is um, I think intellectually he understands um, not just Dunzo, but many aspects of how the world work and is able to um, understand the nuances and have a view and an opinion of why are certain things the way that they are. Right. I'll give you a recent example where sure. we were just talking about 
why so many weddings happen in november and december right and what are the reasons that could possibly explain that phenomenon so so i think that the the intellectual stimulation that i get when outside of work when we're discussing some of these things right um those conversations tend to be really really uh, uh, fun with kabir so i think that's the second person that i would uh, um invite to uh, dinner i think the third person would probably be magnus carlsen um because i think what magnus carlsen has done is like such an exception and outlier in the world of not just mind sports but sports in general um of course there's a lot of genes and um um sure intelligence that he would have had to become as good as he has in chess um but what might not be as spoken about or underrepresented is the sheer amount of rigor and hard work that he would have put in in the many many years to become world champion and stay world champion for so long right he's he's yeah. been at the top of his game for um, a really really long time and also because magnus carlsen i've watched him stream like he seems like a really fun guy who like test does not seem like work to him right he really enjoys uh, uh, the sport so that level of excellence at any pursuit right um and what really goes into making that sort of thing happen i think a dinner conversation with him on that subject where he's just talking and i'm listening would be absolutely uh, fun so i think these three people would be very diverse and really interesting people typically would have chosen a bill gates or an elon musk to call at a dinner table but but this this is this is quite quite amazing and uh yeah i agree with you if if you're on top for a for a long time people start to undermine how and what the kind of hard work it would have taken to to stay on top and not just reach there uh it's not a one time act so yeah it's great so uh, anirban this is this has been phenomenal i think we've had we've touched upon so many things uh there's a lot that can come out of this conversation for people to understand about the sector about you about product design in general uh i think thank you so much for being on design grid and uh, it was absolutely absolutely lovely having you my pleasure sir thank you so much thank you Thank you.